tell me okay. what? Okay, I'm muting everybody. I'm unmuting. You can all hear me? No, I need you to unmute you. Okay. <laughs> I can't unmute you. Um, how about now? Yes, that's fine. Okay, and I'm going to give me a second. I'll highlight you. And okay. there we are. Okay. Uh, if you can move the camera up, uh, um, move the camera. That's probably not going to work with me, but I'll try. All right, this. fine, fine. Is this better? Just, Is this better? And there you are. Yeah, that's, oh, uh, yeah, much better. There you are, sir. Okay. Okay, without any further ado, I don't want to waste anybody's time. Thanks to Dave Weintraub. I have yards somewhere in my father today, but I'm down with a uh, big corona, so uh, I can't do the regular way. Uh, so what I propose to do, and, and I don't trust myself on getting this right um, in terms of recording it, but I do trust Dave Weintraub because he's the expert in this. And so I appreciate for him for putting it on the Zoom. And after this, we'll figure out what to do with it. Um, so this is a Hadron on the Gamora I just finished. And I know I'm doing it in an unusual way, but circumstances are such. I didn't get a chance to say cottage today or anything. So I hope I can do this. Lezeher uh, Nishas, my father. And without any further ado, let's have uh, some fun. This is on the Rishalmi up. I wanted to do uh, Ksuvis for my father's year, but about a month ago, two months ago, whatever it is I saw, it's too long. And so I switched to a shorter Masechta. I haven't done this uh, Yushalmi business in Beitza for a long, long time. Many, many years ago, there was a guy, uh, Rabbi St the, the famous Dr. Steinberg in Israel, and he actually put out, I don't know where I have it with me somewhere, a, a nice edition. I did it with the high school boys long ago, Yushalmi on Beitza, which is very interesting. But um, anyway, this time I did it uh, differently, but I'm not going to do the Hadron. I'm sorry, the end of the CM, just go right into it. So we're looking at the Rishalmi. I have a, a very interesting book. One of the reasons I want to do it as as a video is so I can do show and tell because I think it makes it uh, more interesting, at least to me. So here's a sefer called Ami B'Marawa, which was picked it up a couple years ago, and as you see, it lists the machlokas in in the whole shas between the Bible and Rishalmi. The guy who did the uh, Kovitz Chakiris uh, and all Rabbi Keshen, so he did a good job. So since uh, base is all about Hilkas Yantav, as you know, the laws of Yantav, I said, let me take a look over there. Is there a significant, interesting difference between the Bavli and Yushalmi connected uh, in terms of Hilkas Yantav? And I was drawn to a particular subject, and here I go. Minat Torah. How are you supposed to sp sp spend Yantav? Minat Torah, right? Not rabbinically. How did God, not some rabbi, ordain spending the day at a holiday? I mean, way back in the biblical era, okay? When most Jews were farmers, and not everybody went to Shiloh all the time. Remember, Samuel's mother didn't go to Shiloh when he was born and all that, right? So what does the Torah say you're supposed to do in Yontif? Now, it seems to be different views in Chazal. I mean, differences in the Bible and Yushami. Differences which, to my mind, are thought-provoking. There's a famous Gemara in Beitza in the Bible, which I think, I'm sure everybody knows, in which you have Rebbe Leezer saying something very weird. I'm trying to approach this today uh, with a fresh mind. Uh, according to Rebelezer, a person has to choose how to celebrate Yontav. You have to choose how to celebrate Yontav. And you can't mix. Either he spends Yontav as a foodie, the Yomim Tovim being a few days in the year when he experiences the joys of Epicurean pleasure. So ordinarily, you're not like that, but in Yontav you do. Or else he goes the learning route, spending all day learning. But you can't switch. If it's Epicureanism, you're not allowed to learn. 
This is the famous Gemara where Ablazer says, Ain lo lo be yantavel o ochel b'shosa, o yosha b'shona. You got to do ochel b'shosa, or yosha b'shona. Now, the from way is to say, well, he doesn't mean, but it is what he says. Now, by contrast, as everybody will remember, Rabbi Yeshua says that God, and they're talking to Risa, God wants you to do both. Part Epicureanism, part learning. Chalkehu, right? I repeat, there's nothing wrong with Epicureanism if it's confined to Yantiv. All during the, that's that's the special din of Yantiv. Okay, fine. So, you know, different foods and so forth and so on. Now, um, Rabbi Yeshua's opinion seems to be sensible and down to earth. Isn't that how we regard what we learn when we learn that Gemara? But what's the story with Rebel Hazard? I can't learn and eat well? Anyway, from a yeshivish perspective, isn't Talmud Torah Kenega Kulam? Could you imagine, for example, Rabbi Kalevsky saying, okay, it's a dealer's choice. If you want, you have to learn it all. You can spend all day eating. Hold that thought. In the Yushalmi and Shabbos, not in Pesach, there is a statement even stranger, from the Amora, from a pair of Amoraim. Rabbi Chagai on the one hand, Rabbi Rechi on the other. This is in 78a in Shabbos. Rabbi Chagai B'Shem B'Shemul by Nachman says, listen closely to the language. Lo nitnu Shabbos et Yomtev, ela achil I'll repeat. Lo nitnu Shabbos et Yomtev, tovim ela achil It's only for eating. Al yidei shahapeze masriach, because of the stinking mouth, said they were mater that you could be oisig the Torah. Rabrechia b'shem Rabbah Amar. Rabrechia says lo nitnu shabbos v'yamim tovin el olasig ben divri Torah. So if you analyze these closely, it seems that these two Amaraim are like sub schools of Rebbe Lezer, just without the dealer's choice. Rebbe Lezer says it's a dealer's choice. You want to do the learning way, fine, but then don't do the eating way. Or do you want to do the other round? It's also good. Here, you know, it's you have to do the eating way, or you have to do the learning way. It's interesting that way. Okay. Uh, now, how would you even translate the words because of the smelly, stinking mouth? The hitirulo, their matter to be Isaac and Torah. How would you even translate those words? It seems to me that we have four schools of thought among the Chazal as far as the Antim is concerned. Eat yes and learn no. Or the other way around, it's dealer's choice. Learn yes and eat no. That's one way. Or learn yes and eat no. That's the Rebrechia that I just read you in Shalmi. Or eat yes and learn yes. That's Rabbi Yeshua, you know, split it. Or Abchagai, really, you should just eat. But because of the smelly mouth, you should also learn as a sort of Bidiyevit. Because the Lashon was hetirulo, lasuk b'dim b'divri Torah. It's remarkable. So we have two out of four opinions who hold that really yantiv is for eating and so forth and not learning. Whoa! <laughs> What's the Shabbatis? <clears throat> Alpi Savara, I would venture, having historical uh, twist, to say Rebelezer is uh, saying that yantiv, that's midiraisa, is for the passionate experience of God, not for some non-passionate celebration. In other words, in general, if you think about it, there are three levels of mitzvah performance. A, B, C. Rote, duty, passion. Okay? A lot of people 
do mitzvahs, and I'm talking about Orthodox Jews, you know, do the stuff. Some people do it as a matter of rote. Okay, I get that. You know, it's it's there's too much of that. The the prophets talk about mitzvah and Hashem Lodim, fine. And then there are those who do that of a sense of duty. Okay? So I'd rather not do it, but I'm a good Jew. And so I'll wake up in the morning at six, I'll get the shul, I'll do, I'll put on the shul, I'll do everything I gotta do. See, I have no grounds for complaints against me. Okay? But on the other hand, it's eh, I can't say I'm passionate <laughs> at at 6.45 in the morning. You know, I'm, I'm going crazy because I'm saying ashray. And then you have those who are almost passionate, right? Passionate. Now, in terms of biograph, bio, biography, Rabbi Lezer, if you think about it, is the poster boy for passion. Isn't he? I mean, what's the famous biography of Rabbi and Herkinus? He ran it. We know this. There are many versions of it. They're not all identical, but it's very famous. It's in the Gemara, in the Medrash. This is the whole picture of Lezer. The beginning is about this. He ran away from home, remember, to learn in great privation, and in spite of the fact that he was disinherited. We know this story. That's a passionate person. He was called a Shamuti, even though he's nearly not a Talmud of Beishamai. If you know the biography, Rebbe Lezer is a student of um, Yochum and Zakkai. Isn't he one of the guys that carried him out in, in, uh, secretly from Jerusalem? Famous story. He's a Talmud of Yochum and Zakkai. Yochum and Zakkai was a Talmud of, not base Hillel, Yochum and Zakkai was a Talmud of Hillel. <laughs> right? So why do you call him a Shemuti? It's not because historically he's a Shamaite. It's a personality part. He had that Shammai personality type. Very passionate, stark. You understand? Um, he was excommunicated because he wouldn't give in, as we all know the story of the Tanarach Noi. He couldn't give in. See, he was a passionate person. He's almost always the Machmer. So he's a poster boy for passion. So it's not surprising, it seems to me, that if there's a mitzvah in the Torah of Yontif, it has to be performed passionately. Having come from a family background, divorced from learning, because that's who his parents were, they're from Jews, but had no time for learning, as the famous story goes, remembering the yamim tovim of his youth before he flipped out, Reb Lezer holds there are two ways that he's aware of for doing Yontif passionately. They're mutually exclusive because they have to be. An Epicu- if an Epicurean, if that's what learns, if a person who's by Teva, by personality, an Epicurean, you know, he's into all the stuff you see in the, what shall I say, the ads in the Mishpacha, <laughs> the Ami, right? So if a person, an Epicurean, and he learns, it's out of sense of duty, not out of a sense of passion. I mean, if that guy goes to Dafyomi, more power to him. I'm serious, but you can't say he don't have a sense of passion. It's out of duty, which is also good, okay? But Yontif for Rebelezer is for passionate enjoyment. Learning on Yontif is for those who passionately enjoy learning, which is not most people. Now, Rabbi Yeshua, by contrast, we all know, was Mr. Mello. He was literally grew up, he's not a Balshua, he literally grew up in the base of Medish, Ashrei Yolatito. We, we all know the story. His mother put him in the cradle in the base of Medish. You understand? He was a mellow guy, therefore he has a mellow approach. You can have both. One is not staring the other. It's interesting, by the way, that if you pursue their careers, Rabbi Yeshua got along very well with the Romans and with the Goyim. In fact, he was the guy they always called when they needed someone to debate with the uh, Goyim. And he was successful in his diplomacy with the Romans all the time. 
we will perhaps recall the famous incident where they were about to launch a rebellion, which, as we know from Bar Kochla, proved out to be a bad idea. And the Karbi Yeshua, what he he told in the famous story from Aesop fable about the bone in the throat of the lion. Remember that? Uh, it says in the Gemara, but here's Aesop's fables in Hebrew I picked up years ago in the Akadamon. This is for Bernie <laughs> in in uh, Hebrew you. Okay? And uh, the reason I got it is because it's Minukog. <laughs> okay? And if you read the Aesop fable there, the bone in the throat of the and the stork is a famous. So, Mashenke uh, Rebelezer didn't get along with the Romans well. His relations were always bad. And as you know, he was Nit Paslaminus. He was actually arrested on charges of being a Christian, which, as you know, was a radical sect. And the only way he got out of it was because he said, Naman Alai Hadayan. You remember that story? It's a famous story in which the, the Roman judge thought, is Lishna the Mishnah Latreapi. So the Roman judge thought that he was talking about himself. Remember, he said to Reb Lezer, Right? How can a guy like you get involved in this, in this crazy stuff? Uh, and he had to, like, he, let's put it this way, he wiggled out of it. But he, this is not a person who knew how to uh, finesse his relations with the Romans. So, therefore, Reb Yeshua was much more diplomatic and moderate. Uh, by the way, so that's how you would approach, at first glance, this difference of opinion, which is very interesting. What is the proper way? Min Torah. I'm not talking about by the time we finish with all the Talmudic laws. Min Torah. How are you supposed to behave on Yontif? Now, the Rishonim, and all, in a typical style, resolve all these statements dialectically. Okay? This is based Yosef and others. They say like this. If you're a scholar, eat and drink. If you're not a scholar, learn all day. I don't know if you know, there's Mamash in the Shulchan Aruch. Mamash in the Shulchan Aruch. It's a... Uh, Reish Sadi. It's one of the shorter chapters in Hilchah Shabbos. So everybody can read that. One of the shorter chapters in Hilchah Shabbos. And what it says is, Achar Suda This Machaber says, Achar Suda Shachris, Kovin Medrash Likras Benavim, Belidrash Adibri Agadatah. That you have your meal for Shabbos, you do. And then afterwards, you go to Shul for a shear in Agadita. And don't have a second meal. Or don't make your meal that long that it goes all day long and you miss the shear. But the Ramah, right, says, If you're a worker who's not a learner all week, Yasku Yoske Batar Shabbos. So they should make a very small meal and a long day of learning. If you're a Talmud Chacham, it's the other way around. I don't say that's the practice, but I'm just saying that's what the Ramah says. Here it is. If you're Talmud Chacham, your meal should last longer, and you should have more Gashmias, shall we say, in the meal. If you're a Balabas, you should have a quick, a rel- relative Kitsas, relatively quick meal, and spend the rest of the day learning, because they get their own the rest of the week. So that's a dialectical re- resolution. So we hold like Rebel Ezra, we hold like Rebbe Yeshua. Re- when he was talking about one, he was talking about this, and we talking about the other. I'm talking about that. But what about the Ushalmi that I said before? What's the story with this smelly mouth? Okay? Again, the guy, Rebbe Chagai said, really, 
It should be no lint, no Shabbos Yom Tov Elo Lachilu Shtiya. Really, you're supposed to eat and not learn. But B'Dievet Al Yidei Apeh Shemasriach. It's a funny language, isn't it? Now, by the way, the art scroll. Not surprisingly, just want to elide this. I don't have it in front of me, but I was just interested. I went to Shabbos. Check out the art scroll Shabbos. I can't go by the whole set. It's too expensive. Yes, <laughs> to, to to get the art scroll. You show me set. When I when I worked in the art school, they sent me the Bible for free. I can't afford that kind of money, but I looked inside and they changed the gear so from not Masriach but Tariach or something like that, and you know it's, it's that then you don't have to deal with the whole question. But the Vilna Gon and the Carbonate and others go with Masriach. Okay, so what do you do with the masri- with the stinking mouth? What does that mean? Okay, now the Carbonate, the famous teacher Moses Mendelssohn. Always give it a very logical, and the Vilna Gaon agrees. He said like this, what do you mean smelly mouth? Either foul language, like in gossip or Lush and Hara, or overeating will lead to barfing like the Romans used to do. They used to throw up in the meal. That will be disgusting. He said, to prevent that, they allowed you to learn. Isn't that weird? Listen to the language. Uh, this is the carbonata. Im lo yaske bedover acher kim and that's what the Gros said. That's what the Vilna Gon says. So you say like this, really, you should spend all day eating and drinking. But in the ultimate Hasidic Arizal style, you know, all the Gashmias is super, super Kadosh. But people are like that. This is Chazal talking. You'll end up, if you're not learning, you end up talking about politics. Next thing you know, you'll talk about Lashon Hara and who knows what. Lashon Acher, Sheish Lachush, or you'll get disgusting because you start throwing up. As the Romans used to do. Remember we all learned that? And the Roman meals, they would put, part of the meal is you, you, you stuff yourself and then you take that syrup of epicac, whatever, and you throw up and then you then you keep going. So that's not so as a bit the avid, that that's one now these are two plausible explanations, but they're not gripping. Okay? Is that why you say a Masriach? A very uh very logical. Now I want to tell you my shot. Okay? There's a, if you know, and I just happen to remember this, and I'm surprised I didn't see anybody say it, so it makes me wonder maybe I'm doing something wrong, but I think this is right. There's a famous medrash, Rabbi, remember, from what we used to do with the boys of medrash around on Friday night, about the war of Kedar Omer, the four and five kings, over there in Lechacha. And the medrash says, the following very short story. Listen closely. Meister Belezim and Herkinus. This is one version of the story of Belezim and Herkinus. So they were working on the family farm. His brothers were plowing Bemishor on a flat land. And he was assigned to plow Bahar, which is much harder. And in the course of the plowing, the cow broke a leg. So Rebelezin Herkinus, who wanted to go to Yeshiva, he said, Litovasi, this is a good luck for me. Barach, He ran away from home, he flipped out, he went to Yeshiva Yochim and Zakai. And you and I know that it, the story is his parents disinherited him. Okay? Isn't that something? And he was eating dirt. In other words, the Yeshiva system at that time, they didn't give a lunch. And so you're on your own. He literally had no money coming from home. He must have been ashamed to admit it. He must have been. And so he was he learned and learned and was so starving 
Right? Until it was impossible to be around him because I'm eating the dirt. Now I want to tell you, I'll tell you later, my father did this in the war. So it's a, it, it, such things happen. When you have unbelievable starvation, which we should never know, of course, obviously, when you have unbelievable starvation, you do crazy things. And in this case, it was a base madrish. They couldn't stand it. And so they complained Rosh Hashiva that his mouth smells. Okay? They said to Rosh Hashiva, they said, we can't stand being in here because it stinks so much, which it did. Right? Which it did. So, but the Rosh Hashiva, Yochum and Zakai, said like this, The Zakai praised this meat in him because it was a passion for learning to the point of starvation. Okay? And he said, you know, very nicely, nice story, the way your mouth smells now, the smell of your Torah will spread across the world. Now, the people know you're there. Now, so Rav Chagai is saying, so in my opinion, and this was a Belezer, and Belezer is the one at the Mandomer in the Bavli, you see? So, Rav Chagai is saying, Lo nitnu shabos as yomim tovim el achilu shtiyah, al yidei apeb mazem asriach, hitiru lolasim divri Torah. Which means, I would offer, really, Yontav is about eating and drinking. This was the original Yontav back in the desert, and by the way, it's gender neutral, it applies for women too. However, because there are some types for whom eating means nothing, like Rebelezer, who didn't mind eating foul dirt, who get no pleasure out of whatsoever out of eating, the only they get you know they just eat to live. You could give them good food, bad food, doesn't mean anything. Hetiru lulasik behen So to me, it's pushed that when he says pen masriach, he must have been referring to this famous story of Elizabeth. Ben Hurkinus, which fits very well because Rebbe Ben Hurkinus is a Tana who is referring to Alma Nitnu Shabbos Yom Torim. Rebbe Ben Hurkinus is commenting on what is the proper procedure for Yantif. Uh, so I can say I don't know. I don't know where it is. I don't know why nobody says this. I can't be the only one who thought of this. In other words, just as there are people who get zero pleasure from learning, there's a lot of them. There are some people, fewer who gets zero pleasure from Epicureanism. In other words, it tastes good, but it doesn't give pleasure. That's very heavy. Right? It tastes good, doesn't give pleasure. And Yontif is for earning for pleasure. Now, to be perfectly honest, this is a very heavy Epicurean vert. The Epicureans, as a, as a Greek philosophical school, will, were all about trying to analyze and understand philosophically what pleasure is. You understand? Know Not in a grub way, in a sophisticated way. And here you have a classic Epicurean fart, which is whatever person says, I guess, I don't get any pleasure from, from the food. Uh, That's my shot. As we know, Relezon Horkinus died excommunicate, cut off from scholarly discourse, which of course must have been tough. After all, what is the statement of Rebelezer in old age about the Chachamim that he records in Perkyavis? He says, You should definitely warn yourself near them. 
But don't get too close, you get burned. Take it from me. The Chacham are a dangerous group to mess with. I learned the hard way. All the statements in the Pirkei Yavis, if you know how, are, are biograph, autobiographical. That's Rebbe Lezer. Now, um, the story, it was the price of having a super passionate temp- temperament, even passionate for Torah. It's possible to be super overpassionate for Torah, which after all, am I not wrong? Isn't that the story of his excommunication in the incident of the Tana Shalach Noi? He just he was so attached to his shot, and he wasn't wrong as the story goes. You know, the sky fell, the walls fell, and all that stuff. But he he couldn't do the majority rule thing, and that's why they had to put him in excommunication. So in other words, he was even too passionate for that. Now he was not the only one. The same thing happened. Who else was excommunicated? Rameir. At the end of Horius. I think we all know the story where he and uh, the Rabbunah bar were angry at the uh, that the, the, the Nasi Reshkel, you know, Shimon Gamliel was insisting the old stand up for him and not for the others and so forth. And by the time it's over, he lost. And having once occupied the highest post, he was like Dab Basin or something like that, Rameir was reduced to obscurity. This is something we usually don't think about when we talk about the career of a mayor. Uh, they, you know, they, they wouldn't mention his name, they call Machir Momrim, which means he was stripped into his obscurity and the grudge was held because there's a famous Gemara, it's all Nandahorius. I assume that everybody's familiar more or less with this story. And that was Shin Gamliel, and when his son Rebir, Behuna Nasi, was learning, remember, he said, who are these people that we never mentioned their names? And isn't it over already? And the father, Shema Gamliel, says, <laughs> He quoted from Tehillim that the, the, the fight goes on. <laughs> Even though the en- enemy is gone, uh, <laughs> the sword is always out eternally. We're going to keep their memory. We're going to reduce them to obscurity. Rava says, that the enmity even included into the time of Reuda Nasi. The Gemara says over there in Hurius, Amarava, Afila Rebbe, Don Vesanahu, even Rebbe who was on of, he used to say, Amar Mishumra Meir, Amar Abmeir Lo Amar. Right? He would never draw, quote Rameir directly, even though it wasn't in his time. Okay? Now, in that light comes the famous story, which I believe is the most famous Agatha in the Yerushalmi Beitza, I think. And it goes like this. Rabbi Havimesel or Rabshimabrei, Rabbi Yudan Nasi was making a chasana for his son, and they were clapping, not like this, but like that. Okay? Not like this, but like that. With a shinoi. Okay? So, you know, they were having singing and shabrachas and all that stuff. Over Rav Shimon, and it was on Shabbos, so no, it was the shabrachas, and they're clapping and that sort of thing. Over a mayor Vashama Mayor was walking outside. The old um excommunicated, ostracized Ramayor, you know, in a different situation in life. This is many years later after he was excommunicated. This is Rabbi Nasi, the son of Shimagolio, making a chasana for his son. Okay? Omar Rabbosinu Hutra Shabbos. They said like you do in May Sharm. Shabbos! 
Because he didn't, now I won't get in the halakhic debate. No, did he disapprove of this or did he think they were doing that? That's different Rishonim. Whatever. He screamed, Hutra Shabbos? Shamar Rebbe Koli. Rehuda Nasi was inside and he heard somebody doing Shabbos. So basically it's like the, you know, like the Gare Rebbe and somebody's like this. Shabbos? He said, Who are you? Omar, me who's there? Who has the chutzpah? To, to, to try to lure Dosena to dominate us in our house. Listen, who's telling me I'm from? Beast Amri, me who says the ball at Sarena would talk about Or maybe he said it that way. Shama Rameer calling. Outside Rameer heard the booming voice of Rina Nasi saying, Who's got the chutzpah to, to, to tell me off on Shabbos? Of Orak, right? And he fled because they're afraid he'd come out and beat him up. Nafkin Pari Basre. And the goon squad, the the the, um, the butlers, you know, the household people of the of Yonanasi ran out to chase after him, and he fled. Pari basra mifrim ifrachrucha pakli malkadli dramer, and since he was running so fast, his turban fell off, and you could see like this the back of Rameer's head, like this, right. Guess he was a child, you know, he was wearing a hat. Now he fled. His hat, like we say in English, his hat fell off. Okay? Odik Rabbi Kavosov, isn't this story? Rabbi Nasi, he wasn't the one who ran out. The students and the staff ran out chasing him. Rabbi Nasi looked through the window. Bechame Kavli Rameir Machorv. And he saw the back of Rameir fleeing. Omar, he said, now listen closely to the language. Lo Zochi Sanolo Raisa. I was only Zoha because I saw the back of Rameir's neck. I want to say it again. Listen closely to the language. It's not exactly the way others think. I was not Zoha except when I saw his back. Now, the regular Mepharshim explained this pietistically. Okay? That just seeing the back of Rameir has miraculous effects, because this is based on the Bavli. In the Gemara, in the first parak in uh, Erevin, Yud Gimel, it says, Amar Rebbe, this is a, a similar but not identical thing. Amar Rebbe, the reason I was more mechudad than my friends, better in learning, because I saw Rameir from behind. Had I seen Mayor in the, Rameir in the face, I'll be more sharp because so the typical way is to say Yerushalmi is saying the same thing right but um, I mean a 19th century rationalist Mefarish in Lithuania would say you know seeing the body of a mayor now you understand his knage and when he says something you see his body it, it, it sticks better in the mind the upturned the thumb, the twist of the body, makes it, makes it easy to comprehend what he was saying, because everybody knows Rameir was so sharp, lo yardu chaver v'las layer of the sof daito. Kind of makes sense. So the easiest way is to say that the Bavli and Yushalmi are saying the same thing, with the Yushalmi giving the drama, the drama, you understand, behind the pietistic statement of Rebbe. But to my mind, this ignores some salient historical facts. <laughs> the Rameir, who is he? Rameir was a contemporary of Rebbe's father, of Hashem Gamliel. Rameir had an unusual background. He was the son of a Roman general. We all remember this, or maybe a grandson. 
the guy who, sh- who shot the arrow at the temple in Kamsa Bar Kamsa, the story, I think you know that. So usually we don't consider a mayor was a son or grandson of a care, and a Roman too. He was a, he lived through the time of the Arasari Rugamalchus, one of whom was his father-in-law. Isn't there a mayor, the son-in-law, brewery, you know, of Chene ben Tradian? So he lived through all the, 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 the destruction of the old generation. In other words, the old Sanhedrin was destroyed, and Rameir and others fled into exile. We're coming up soon to the Gemara Megillah. I bet you, and I don't follow the Dafyami, maybe they're learning it now. Doesn't it talk about the fact that Rameir was in exile? He wrote a Megillah by heart. Remember that the Gemara discusses this? And I said, what was he doing there? He's fleeing from the Roman persecution. And he returned to Israel when the persecution ceased. So he was part of the post-Holocaust generation that restarted the Sanhedrin. That's who he was. Now, Rameir was a Talmud Muvak of Rabbi Kiva, which is very important in the history of the Torah Shavuot in ways people don't realize. Before I explain this, I will point out that Rabbi Akiva, round two, his first students died the 24,000, you know, in, in the sphere of time. But round two, he had five super Talmudim, which the, which the Chazal say, Omdu umilu kol Eretz Yisrael Torah. They filled the whole Eretz Yisrael with Torah. There's Rameir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi, Shimon Lozer, and Rolozer. I want you to notice, it does not include Shimon Gamliel. Again, Rameir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi, Shimon Lozer, Rolozer. If you're familiar with the second generation time, these are the ones you usually come across. But it doesn't include the Nosi uh, of Shimon Gamliel. Why am I emphasizing this? We all know that clashes broke out between Hoshima Gamliel and Rameir, the Talmud Muvuk of Rabbi Kiva, and somebody, the Nasi, coming from a completely different thing. And the Hoshima Gamliel was eventually successful in getting Rameir expelled from the Sanhedrin. We all know from Horius, in the end, that Rameir's Torah was too indispensable to be omitted from the Sanhedrin deliberations. And so they were indeed included, but without attribution. It was a cherim omrim. In other words, the name of Rameir was never mentioned. This strategy was so effective that the young son of Shema Gamliel, when he was young, had to ask his father who was a cherim. It's all, I just don't want to take your time. It's all in the end of Horius. Remember it said, remember the son of Shema Gamliel, the future of Yudha Nasi, said, Mi heim halolu, <laughs> we use these fars all the time. You never mention the name. And you know, the father said, oh, they're bad people. The father didn't answer the name. He said, these are tried people trying to mess us over. Father did not say who it was. So it would seem the two never met. In other words, Rameir and Rehud Nasi. At least not normally. The Rameir was on the outs. There never was a reconciliation. And yet, the Igeris of Shiragon says that Rebbe was an intellectual follower of Rameir, or more accurately, of Rameir's work, which is interesting. Uh, here we get into the famous Shiragon. According to him, the mission that you and I have today was not written by Rebbe, was not composed by Rebbe. Rather, the Mishnah was written or composed by Rameir. That is the meaning of Stam Mishnah Rameir. According to Shurgon, this is written for all the other explanations. Incidentally, Rameir composed it based on the version of Rabbi Kiva, 
All this is a Shiragon. So in other words, the Mishnah that you and I have is originally the Mishnah of Rabbi Akiva, reworked by Rabbi Meir, and then reworked a third and final time by Yudha Nasi. Incidentally, Rabbi Meir composed it by... Okay. In, it, in other words, there were various versions of the Mishnah. Okay? But Rabbi did the final edit on Rabbi Meir's, and this version knocked out all the others, which is why all the others disappeared into oblivion. These words are actually in the Shuragon. I have it in front of me, I just don't feel like, like reading everything at great length. I may read a small piece later. So the intellectual relationship of Rebbe and Rameir is huge, but the personal relationship was non-existent. So it seems they never met each other. I mean, look, according to this, he never saw him except in the old age when he ran away from the goon squad on Shabbos and he saw the back of his neck. I mean, if he knew him all the time, what do you mean? I saw the back of Rameir. You understand? The relationship was not good. Otherwise, why would Rameir run away? It is a weird story, isn't it? Right? It is a weird story. If so, what's the meaning of this statement? Lo It doesn't sound like a pietistic statement. If it was, why didn't Rabbi Yonanasi treat Rabbi Meir better? In general. I want to suggest the following. <clears throat> Again, because of the history. Rabbi made this statement years later in retrospect, after he had issued his edition of the Mishnah. Indeed, we know Rebbe had a first version of the Mishnah and then replaced it with a second. There's something called the Mishnah Rishona and the Mishnah Chrona. The precise meaning of these terms has been debated by scholars in the 19th century, uh, you know, at great length. Uh, here's W. C. Hoffman, a whole book called The Erste Mishnah, the Mishnah Rishona, with his, his Mahalach from the Hildesheimer. Then, if you prefer, you can do the Doris uh, Rishonim through a Victor Miller, he'll tell you a different version of what the Mishnah Rishonim means, or Yisoda Mishnah, as he called it. Or if you want to, I was just in, in um, Lawrence two weeks ago, uh, and I ran into uh, Ari Bergman, I still remember for longer, and he put out a book on Doris um, Rishonim. He gave me, it was nice enough to give me a copy, and when she goes into this stuff, this is old raid, you know, what exactly was the Mishnah Rishonim Shachrona? But there was, there was. Now, um, I think, in my opinion, and especially based on this Yerushalmi, it may mean the following. The first Rebbe, who Shriagon tells us knew 13 versions of the Mishnah. So you understand, the Mishnah would be some kind of organized oral text, which goes through what you and I would refer to as Kol Torah Kula. Doesn't have to be necessarily Zeroi, Moi, Noshim, Zidin, Kajutai. Could be other ways. And recording the opinions. This is complicated, and it is at, at great length in the... If you want to get the new art scroll, <laughs> Shiragon in English, I guess. Uh, I did the translation, and since today is my father's yard set, I can tell you it's hard to deal with art scroll, and I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let you use it anymore unless you put in something for my parents and for my father-in-law. So that's the part you see about my father. And they said, we want to change the words. I want to let them change the words. Okay? At the beginning of the Shurgon. So that's my little contribution to art school history. So what's going on over here? I think Rebbe, first, who knew the, the 13 variants, put together a version of the Mishnah, subsequently put together a second, the Mishnah Chrono, which he held was an improved version. And that's the Mishnah that's the Mishnah we have today. Right? Although sometimes he retained the original 
Nusach. As the Gemara says, occasionally, Mishnah Rishon Lozozam in Makoma. Once upon you have that. Uh, now this latter Mishnah, the Mishnah Rona, was Rab Meir's Mishnah. Okay? No, it was Rebbe's editing and reworking of Rab Meir's Mishnah. That's what you and I have today. What about the Mishnah Rishona? I think what happened was as follows. At first, Rebbe constructed the Mishnah Rishona from the other variants. He added those 13 variants. It says he had good Gimel uh, styles into a single version, but then he reconsidered and instead went for the version of Rameir. He must have reconsidered and, and viewed Rameir as superior and there switched to it, thereby rescuing Rameir from oblivion and producing a superior product. Sort of. Because he doesn't say... You know. I want to read you what Shuragon says over here in a remarkable passage. He says, I'll read in Hebrew and in English. It'd be easier to read it with the English next to me. Just give me a second. It's a, a very interesting uh, part. Um, here we go. After talking about Rameir and so forth, Rebbe Rabbi Behochasa Orchad Rameir. Rabbi Vihavi Orchad Rabbi Kiva. Even the Chazer Rebbe, the Orchid Rameir, Kitzar Krovo, Luma the Dvarim, Mukhobarm Chibur Yafa, called Dover Dover Amashadomolo, or Madukdokin Dvar of Harbi Yoser, Mikulra Bonatanoi. Rebbe realized that the system of Rameir, which was really that of Rebbe Kiva, was succinct, easy to learn, and well organized, with each subject next to something similar. The text was much more precisely formulated than the text of the other Tanoim. It had no excess verbiage, and every law was well understood without saying anything more. Okay? Uh, and uh, what he's saying is like this. Every word was so always gotten that there was no no need to refer to other things. Except in a few places. Except in a few places. And each word was so well constructed, Rameir's, that it had gedols in the flows. And now everybody can write this well. In other words, as we all know from experience, you can be a big Talmud Chacham and not know how to give it well. You can be a very big scholar and not necessarily be a great writer. So Rameir had that gift. It's a Pasuk. A person can build up his IQ, but to have the, the the luck and skill to write well that it appeals to others, that's a gift from God. It's, it's not something you can you can learn. Okay? So in other words, the superiority of Rameir's stuff, material, was just there. Okay? Uh, so something caused Rabbi to rethink his Mishnah, the one that would consign the others to oblivion, because he knew and he was right. And Shogun says, once this comes out, it'll knock all the others out of the park. And nothing was written in those days. So if you're not constantly repeated, it'll fall into disuse, which happened. Okay? And he's going to... Uh, so something called Rebbe to rethink his Mishnah, the one would consign the others to oblivion and use their mayors. But without attribution. <laughs> right? It doesn't say this in the Mishnah. Shurigun tells us it. Doesn't say in the Mishnah. Right? If not with Shurigun, we wouldn't know it. What, he says that's the meaning of Stam Mishnah Rameir. There are other interpretations of that phrase, and that's what everybody would go with. So he 
rescued Rub Mayer's material, but he didn't exactly say, you know. Uh, now, what would what was the cause of Rebbe to rethink, to reconsider from the Mishnah Shon and Mishnah Chorna? I think it may be the incident in the Yushalmi Beitzah. That's what I want to suggest today. The elderly, friendless Rameir, fleeing in fear and disgrace, which Rebbe observed from afar, it says, you know, the more everything's Meduyuk, Min Kavsa, he saw from a window, from afar physically and afar emotionally, seeing the back of the neck and not the face. The man in disgrace, not in glory. He's no longer as a zero threat. The enmity lessens, and Rebbe could be more rational about Rameir to a degree. Right? And from a rational point of view, Rameir's was a superior, and it certainly his mission was. If Rebbe wanted his mission to take off, he had to use the best quality text out there, oral text, and that was Rameir. So the story of the wedding and the clapping is secondary in historical importance to the history of, of Torah literature. Now in the halachic literature, the Beisios and the other talk about you know this versus this. But I'm talking about something uh, broader. I've come to the end of my remarks. I would just say my briefly, my father resembled Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Shua, and Rameir in his generation. How, do you, how did my father resemble Rebbe Lezer? He ate dirt. <laughs> we had plenty of times in Holocaust. We went, Mamashu Kozuz Adoma. He told me that's why he was sick. I don't know how he survived. And, you know, when you're starving, 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 you put anything in your mouth. And he heard from others. You taste something, if it's super bitter, you spit it out. If it's not super bitter, just stomp bitter, you swallow it. Uh, like, it worked, it didn't work. You know, he's three quarters dead, but he made it. Mm-hmm. Right, Yeshua, he was much more of a mellow person. So, if my father was definitely Chalkeil, Chatsi Lechem, Chatsi Lechem. That's just who he was by temperament. And like Rameir, my father lived through the Hasar Hugi Malchus in Lithuania. And he was part of the generation that spent the remaining years rebuilding and refilling the word with Torah. Not like our mayor, but certainly not without passion either. So with that, I conclude Yezir Chabarch. And I thank you for giving me your attention. And um, if anybody's interested in Baltimore and joining, we're gonna, I'll try to put a mincha menu together because I didn't have a chance to say Kaddish in a little while. I just didn't know how long this would last. And with that, I wish you all a good day. Thank you. Dave?